Sorry, sang songs with Lady Gaga of the Super Bowl in another state. Rob's my best friend. Hey, this is Music Biz 101 more on Bravery Radio 8.7. The only radio station owned and operated by William Patterson University in Wayne, New Jersey. We are trying to make the music biz better. We are your free advice, Music Biz 101 and more radio show and podcast. We're listening to our best friend ever, Rob Fusari, his version of Don't Let Love Down, which was actually a song that he wrote with Lady Gaga. It was never, I don't think it was ever officially released, but uh, there is a version of her. her. She does have a version out there on the World Wide Web, some call that the internet. And this is Rob's version, and we love Rob. Rob's going to actually be on the show in a few weeks. We have our wonderful stand-in co-host tonight. His name is Professor Aaron Van Dyne. Aaron Van Dyne's on the radio show. We also have a... Oh, you want to say hi, Aaron? Hello, Dave. Good to have you. We are Steve Arconi, normally here, is on sabbatical for a uh, short period of time. He's out on assignment. Maybe three weeks, maybe four weeks. He will be back. So our good buddy Aaron Van Dyne stepping in when he can. And Aaron is the uh, business manager for Three Doors Down, Dave Matthews, Kiss, the Dap Kings, formerly Sharon Jones, the Dap Kings. Um, Aaron and St. Vincent's leader, Kenny. And he's been a great friend of the show. Charlie Pooh. Anymore? That's it. That's it. And two more. And he does Steve Marconi's taxes. So there we go. So uh, we've got the... Um, Ashley, could you turn up him in my headphones here? Okay, I was just speaking with Ashley. Ashley Weltner is our producer engineer at Producer Engineer. Ashley Weltner, she's making it happen. Ashley is our producer engineer, and that's it. She's the only one we had. We had somebody else who was going to do it. Can't do it anymore. Took another job, full time job, or an internship. So Ashley's doing it. We brought for Ashley. Ashley Weltner. I know. Okay. I just wanted to, when he spoke, I can't hear his voice. So, okay, all right. Turn down just a little bit. There we go. Okay, so, okay, you can turn down the music now. We're having Ashley do like 15 things at once just to see how well she could do with it. But uh, thank you, Ashley, for, for being here. We want to thank real quick the show before us on Brave New Radio is called The Merit, the Maraid Parade, and they were amazing. I was listening to it from 7 o'clock till almost 8 o'clock, and they played some great Great stuff. Very cool stuff. Uh, tonight's guest, it is President's Week. Monday was President's Day. President's Week here. We have Dr. Richard Burgess, who's the president of A2IM, which is the American Association of, American Association of Independent Music. So Richard called in. He is going to be with us in just a minute. 
We mentioned Ashley. We want to mention that you should go to musicbiz101wp.com if you would like to sign up for our weekly newsletter. And you can follow us on the Instagram, the Twitter, the face of the book, at musicbiz101wp. And, of course, every show we do is recorded and available as a podcast on SoundCloud and the iTunes. A couple things you should never, ever forget. If you are in the area of Wayne on Friday, March 3rd, we have a big show here called Collage taking place. It's a musical snapshot of the best of the best of William Patterson Music Department. It's a fundraiser for Music Department scholarships. And then on March 24th, which is another Friday night, we have I Want My 80s, the best of MTV's early years. And we're going to have Mark Goodman, original MTV VJ, who's going to be our MC for the night. We have Rob Fusari, who we just heard. Rob is the music director. And Daryl McDaniels, who was the DMC of Run DMC, performing three songs with the band. That's going to be a great show. In addition to that, you should save the date for May 15th through the 17th, year of our Lord 2017. Music Biz is going to Music Biz in Music City. Because thanks to the Music Biz Association, we will be there for a second year in a row with a group of students, master's degree students, undergrad students, interviewing industry pros, making connections. And it is this man on my right, if you're listening, the man on your left, who is helping us go there. His name is Professor Aaron Van Dyne, and you are supporting us once again yes, in our so trip. Worthwhile, very worthwhile. Thank you very much. To go down there and meet some of the top people in the music world. It's a, an amazing networking opportunity. Ashley, you're thinking of going to Nashville, right? Ashley Weltner right. is thinking. Go. There, go. Leave now. Go now. Yeah, yeah. Go now. Right. We'll take care of this. But Ash, uh, this is a great event. We went last year, and um, Aaron was a big supporter of it, and it helped us subsidize the cost of airfare and hotel for the students, mm -hmm. um, which was really great. So we appreciate that. And we mentioned, we gave you, did you feel that we gave you a significant plug already with the artists that you represent? Yes. And if somebody wants to get in touch with your company, uh, vb-cpa.com, go there when you're ready if you need business management. And it, it can be baby bands. It doesn't have to be. Uh, be. Yeah. And we mentioned you do Steve Marconi's taxes, so it is tax season. One of the biggest clients I ever had. He's very tall. <laughs> so if you need uh, your taxes done and you're looking for somebody, Aaron Van Dyne, Van Dyne Bruno, Inc., and White Hat Management. Also, quick thanks to Christine Vey. Has our caller called in yet or no? Oh, he is, he's ready. Oh, okay, sorry. Um, thanks to Christine Vey, Wealth Manager, President of Vey Wealth Management. Christine has helped many professionals at William Patterson and all over the world manage their investments and plan out for their retirement. If you are looking for some guidance on how to plan for your retirement or if you have questions on anything from investments and portfolio management to insurance and retirement planning, you should give Christine a call at Aaron, would you please repeat after me? 732 732 455 455 1510 1510 Ashley, please say Christine at VeyWealth.com. Christine at VeyWealth.com. That's where you can email her if you need the advisement that you need. So uh, we're very excited about our guest tonight. He's Dr. Richard Burgess. President of A2IM, we mentioned American Association of Independent Music. It's we're very excited because we've we've really got to speak with a lot of people in the independent industry, independent sector. We have uh, we've had Jim Mahoney, president of Merlin. We've had Michael Kurtz, who's the co-founder of Record Store Day. We had Jim Donio. He's going to be on again in, in April, who's the president of the Music Business Association. And now Doc Burgess, and we're very excited about that. Richard, are you here with us today? I am here with you, Dave. Yes, how are you? Very well. How about you? Extremely well, thank you. Never better. We, 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 uh, Aaron Van Dyne, who, who's co-hosting with me tonight, we're going back and forth. Are you from England or are you from New Zealand or Australia? 
It's really complicated. I was born in England. I grew up in New Zealand. Uh, we emigrated to New Zealand when I was nine. And then I, I went to Berkeley College of Music in Boston. And then I rotated back and forth from the U.K. to the U.S. for, you know, the last, God knows, 40 years or something. So it's, um, you know, I, I, I'm utterly confused at this point. <laughs> You're not actually, we can't actually call you a Kiwi then. Uh, yeah, you can. I mean, people do, and then call me a Brit, and, and, and I'm also American, so, you know, I'm, I'm proud of them all. Do you have uh, citizenship in three countries? I do. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, okay. way to go. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. The best no, of all awesome. three worlds. Oh, very nice. Yeah, it's uh, worked out very well for me. So, so I don't know, you probably don't remember. I met you originally back last April. You spoke at the, a conference in Washington, D.C., the Music and Entertainment Educators Association, MIA. You spoke there. I, I remember it. Uh, you gave yep. a keynote, and um, yes. uh, I had somebody take our picture together because the, the word on the street at the show was that you were the drummer on Video Killed the Radio Star by the Buggles. Was that, is that true? I played on that album, yes. I, I was Trevor Horn produced it, and uh, it was kind of the last thing I did as a studio musician, actually. I was moving uh, more into being an artist and then into uh, producing. So, um, you know, we did it at the end of the the end of the 70s, actually, uh, when, was when the, when the record was produced. Yeah. And we did it, yeah. Yeah, I think it came out in se- technically 1979, right? That's correct. Okay. Yeah. And are you in the music video? Uh, you know, I'm not in the, in the original music video because I was just a studio musician, but actually I am on a uh, version of the uh, of it on uh, Top of the Pops from London. Okay. That's, that's cool. So um, can we get into that? Because you had a thesis, and I think uh, one thing Aaron Van Dyne is interested in speaking with, too, is, is the entrepreneurship part because your thesis was called um, Structural Change in the Music Industry, the Evolving Role of the, of the Musician. And one of the things that we did to promote you being on the show was uh, sort of how you have evolved as a, as a right. person within the industry from being a drummer, you know, session drummer to where you are today. Can you kind of... Having a doctorate degree and being an entrepreneur. And, and Dave and I both teach an entrepreneurship class, graduate class here called entrepreneurship in music and entertainment so we're very interested in especially having our students hear your story well thank you it's interesting you know my my phd dissertation actually was called structural change in the music industry the evolving role of the musician and i defined the musician in the in the thesis as being pretty much anybody who you know has some impact on recorded music or so it could be you know the engineer producer you know the actual players the artists whatever but um you know for me i realized pretty early on in my career that you had to be an entrepreneur as well as being a musician and i know you know i, I certainly i don't know if it's true so much today but there was a period of time when the digital disruption after the digital disruption happened and social media kicked in i'd go to a lot of conferences and i'd hear people complaining about having to you know promote themselves through social media and that kind of thing and i think you know whilst it can be onerous i mean we've always had to promote ourselves you know we're all marketing ourselves all the time and um you know so i thought when i came to do my phd that that was something i should focus on because it seems to me that musicians are better off if they uh, actually understand business and if they can control their own business. And, and that, funnily enough, is something that kind of leads me ultimately to A2IM because, you know, we, we advocate for 
independent labels and independent artists. And, you know, you look at Chance the Rapper just won a um, couple of Grammys. And, uh, you know, I, I, to me, that's the ultimate. I mean, I've been signed to seven, six or seven major label deals. I can't remember now. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, they were great. They were good. They were good deals. I've produced for all the majors and everything. But there's nothing like I, I've owned four of my own labels. And I've worked for Smithsonian Folkways Recordings as well. And I have to say that it's it's much better when you control your own masters and you control your own career. So that that's kind of how it all ties together in a big loop. And I'm happy to go into any part of it if you want. It's interesting that you say it's you know the musician should be uh, educated in their own in the field and, and know about it. When we have uh, I'm a business manager and we have especially young what we call baby bands coming in. One of the things I recommend, sometimes I even buy it and give it to him, is Don Passman's book on all you need to know about the music business. Because you're right, they they need to know what's going on and not just say, I didn't know. Uh, You know, there's so much, there's so many facets to it. And then on your social media comment, I always say to students today and and young musicians we work with, the world is so small now because of uh, the Internet, social media, you can advertise and promote yourself and brand yourself worldwide, where in the past, as you know, you couldn't do that. That's right. You know, I was one comment in my book about that because I was talking about, you know, I mean, it used to be you, to network, you'd have to go out to bars and clubs and things like that. And, you know, now social media, I mean, you can still go out to bars and clubs. We can reach an awful lot more people through social media. But as I pointed out in one of my books, you know, you can go out to a bar and get drunk and have a good time. Nothing wrong with that. But you can also go out to network to do business. And it's the same thing with social media. You can goof around on social media and waste a lot of time. But if you want to, and there's nothing wrong with that if that's what you want to do. But if you really want to have a career, it's a serious tool for building a career. And I think that, uh, you know, I encourage people to understand the difference. You know, you can you can have some chill-out, hang-out time, you know, in a bar or on social media, and you can also have some serious networking time. So I think, um, you know, it's, it's it's amazing how many tools are available to us now that weren't available 30, 40 years ago. And, and LinkedIn is a big part of that. For example, you and I are connected on LinkedIn. We connected a, a while back. And that, I have found, is in the professional environment a tremendous tool because – uh, I'm doing a project for for Mia uh, about artist management, and I reached out to a number of artist managers. Never knew them, but I was able to reach out to them through LinkedIn with a question. And so many of them, re, you know, respond, get back to me, give me the answer I'm looking for. Then we connect, and it, it's it's an awesome tool, LinkedIn especially. It's, a, it's amazing. I, I just somebody just um, uh, hit me up tonight on LinkedIn, and uh, you know, I looked at these credible individuals, so I. I sent back my email address, and I think um, I'm amazed how many people don't use LinkedIn and don't use it uh, properly or they don't use it extensively the way they should. It's a really wonderful marketing tool for anybody in any profession, actually. Yeah, I agree. Mm. So so why don't we get into a little bit, because I'm sure it's changed. When did you write that, your dissertation? How, how long ago was that? Well, I, I, I never, you know, it was one of those people I never finished any degrees, so <laughs> I left school. And, um, you know, I started playing and I started a degree in electronics because I was always interested, interested in that. And my parents, you know, didn't think music was a very secure career. But by then I was making more money than my father. So they kind of finally endorsed it. And anyway, I wasn't going to stop playing music, whatever they said. Um, 
so I never finished that degree. And then I, I went to Berkeley and I got a deal while I was at Berkeley. So I wound up leaving to pursue that deal. And then I went to Guildhall School of Music and Drama in London. And I didn't finish that because I got another deal and I was getting busy as a studio musician. So that went on. But then when I went to Smithsonian, I realized that, you know, there were a number of people there, many people there with PhDs. And I thought, you know, I really should finish my education. So, you know, I sort of um, scout around and um, just out of the blue, I was approached by a university of Glamorgan because I already had written two or three books by then on record production. I wrote a book called The Art of Record Production. And ultimately, it, uh, the publisher changed it to The Art of Music Production in the second and third editions. And um, they, you know, I couldn't use that book as a dissertation because I'd already written it, but they really wanted me to do something. And um, so it was just a great opportunity. So I went to the University of Glamorgan, which is now University of South Wales, and did my uh, did my PhD, and I did that while I was working at Smithsonian. I realized, you know, in order to sort of, you know, move up at Smithsonian and to gain credibility, I would need a PhD. And anyway, it intrigued me being around people who had them. And I have to say, it really um, sharpened my thinking, to be perfectly honest with you. In fact, I completely rewrote my book, and I wrote another book for Oxford University Press after I got the PhD, because suddenly I, you know, I, I, I had new research skills and so on and so forth, so... For me, it's a good day if I get out of bed and I can learn something. You know, it's a bad day if I don't learn something. Yeah, that's that's great. And and it and it was about the evolving role of the musician. So, uh, yeah, can you can you explain explain that? Explain uh, why yeah. you chose that and kind of how it has evolved from when you wrote that to today. Sure. Well, I. I, I, I realized, you know, because I was working full-time and my job was pretty intense uh, at uh, Smithsonian Folkways, um, that I would have to pick something that I already knew a lot about, which didn't mean to say I didn't have to do tons of research. I did, because, you know, as you know, with the dissertation, you have to back it up with all sorts of uh, citations. So it's not you can't just write it out of your head, as it were. Um, and that, that was an interesting process, because I never had to really write like that before. Um, but, you know, the, the thing that struck me was everything's changed, and in a way, nothing's changed. And so I, I sort of drew a lot of um, analogs and analogies between the way it, it was when I started out. You know, and again, that goes to the network, that you always had to network. You couldn't, you know, I'm a really, by nature, I'm incredibly introverted and shy, but I just had to get over that as a kid. It's like, I'm not going to get anywhere in the music industry if I can't get out there and function and, and meet people that I don't know. Um, and, of course, that's still true today. It's just, you know, we have different tools today, but the basics are still still the same. And still being good at your instrument, whatever it is, whether it's computer, you know, whether it's just being able to produce stuff on, a, on computer software, which I love, or whether it's play an instrument to a very high degree. I mean, you obviously, uh, you can be the greatest salesperson in the world, but if you have a, a bad product, it's not really going to help you. So, you know, I, I sort of tried to draw all those comparisons and look at what the similarities were and then look at the differences as well. I, th I think we live in a very exciting time, honestly. I think there's so many more tools uh, than we used to have. And um, there's a lot more people competing, so uh, maybe it's more difficult now. I, it's really hard for me to say, but uh, I definitely don't think that uh, the fundamentals have changed. You've got to be good. You've got to work hard. You've got to get lucky. Uh, but, you know, I, was, I have a saying that you, uh, you, you've got to buy the time to get lucky, which means you've got to kind of hang in 
until that opportunity opens up for you. And and when that opportunity opens up, you better dive through that window. Otherwise, uh, it'll close and you might not get another one. And I think you brought up a good point about uh, there are all the tools, but I, I think what's so important is you got over, you mentioned as, as a kid, your your fear, your shyness, you know, your introvertedness. Mm -hmm. if, is introvertedness, is that a word? I'm a, yeah. I'm a professor. Yeah, I'll I'm go be, with it. Yeah, sir, you're a doctor, you know. And so, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But, but I think it's really important because I'll, I'll have students who, who don't say a word in class during a whole semester. And I will yeah. urge them to just once a day raise your hand, just get involved somehow, a little, say something, just exactly what you did, just get over it so that you can show what you have. Because I think if until you're able to do that, it, we can be great on social media, but when I finally meet you, if, if, if there's not that spark, if there's not that passion that you can speak to me about or, or show me with eye contact, I think it's, it's, it's still not the complete package. I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, I, I when I was in high school, you know, I, I was I always did well in school, but I was one of those back of the class kids. You know, I, I'd sort of just sit back there and do my work, and you know, I did fine. But but later, you know, I, I, I made myself go sit in the front of the class. And I made myself put my hand up and ask questions. I would, if something crossed my mind, I had to ask the question, and and that turned out to be a much better strategy than sitting in the back of the class and going home and reading the book to figure out what the heck they were talking about but I, I think more than anything it's it's that personal contact i mean is it, you need a certain amount of personal presence or charisma whatever you want to call it to function in this business and um you know if you don't if you can't practice that and demonstrate that in the classroom then you're probably not going to demonstrate it when you're out in the world and you know i mean i have 400 people apply for the jobs i advertised uh, recently you know and you think how do you how do you make it through that that kind of density of uh, people applying for jobs. So you you got to really show up and you got to stand out. When you saw that, uh, let's take a look at that for one sec, because we do have a lot of uh, college students who are listening to the show, uh, many of yep. whom are graduating in May. And let's say they apply for a position at A2IM and you're looking at what you're looking at. What, what specifically, is there something that naturally pops out for you when looking at resumes and do you then go and look at a linkedin or their social media what what is it in your head what strategy or or uh, path do you follow to try and find yeah. the right person well first i'll say this i have um several millennials working for me and um i gotta say i'm super impressed by this generation you know and you know whatever the next generation after that too um you know i've i have such a great team they're they blow me away every day. And, it, you know, it's not related to uh, age, you know, being young or old. But they, they, they're, they're really, you know, these kids are incredible. And they're not, I guess they're not kids anymore, but you know what I mean. Mm -hmm. And um, so, but I look for, uh, you know, I look for the complete package, honestly. I mean, frankly, I won't hire anybody who doesn't have some kind of tech savvy. Um, I don't, you know, in this day and age, I think it's impossible to function if you're not comfortable with, computers and so social media and so on and so forth and you know they teach me things um but i do i do really try to stay up and i have been dealing with computers since the 70s so um you know but we all help each other in that regard so tech savvy is one thing i think is absolutely vital to function in this day and age uh, in the music industry um the other thing is i do look for a solid education i think going to somewhere like william patterson or mwu or 
you know, even taking night classes or whatever, you know. I, I, I like people who have an entrepreneurial spirit, like so someone's maybe managed bands or, you know, done PR or something like that. Those kind of, It depends on what the job is, obviously, but I think that, you know, I always feel that uh, people who've actually, I, I tell you what, somebody's had a babysitting job or, you know, has, has built some kind of business, you know, walking dogs or something, that tells me something. It tells me they're enterprising and they are not someone who's going to sit back and wait for the world to come to them, you know. So those, those are the kinds of things I look for, depending on the job, obviously. I look for specific skills for a marketing job or an A&R type position or something like that. Interesting. Do, okay. do you find that these young uh, millennials that are coming in have little fire in their belly, uh, that they really want to, you know, they want to go forward and, and learn a lot and go up the ranks in your in your company? I, I, that's true of my team, yeah. I mean, my team's amazing, and um, everybody's hungry and everybody's excited, and we want to have fun. We want to we wanna have fun doing it, but at the same time, we're very serious. And, um, yeah, I... The fire in the belly is absolutely true. Great, that's good news to hear. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I, I, I've been—I've said it just the other day, you know, and just out of the blue. I'm totally impressed with this generation. I have two kids who are millennials, and they're very—I think they're impressive as well. You know, they have a drive, they have an ambition, they—they're willing to put in the work. I'm sure it's not true for everybody, and you can't generalize about a generation. But <laughs> what I've seen so far has been really impressive. That's great. Now, uh, why don't we get into a little bit about A2IM? Um, sure. And, and kind of, if you could, give us a run, rundown of, because we, we did something with Merlin. Uh, I mentioned we uh, interviewed Jim uh, Mahoney from Merlin uh, last yep. year, and yep. um, who, who used to work at A2IM, actually. And, he's a great friend. He's yeah, amazing. He's, yeah, he was a really good guy. And it, it was, really I think there, there's some... Uh, parts of the industry that I don't think enough people understand or know. Um, sound exchange has always been one I think that enough people don't really get. Um, then I yep. think the whole indie part, which with Merlin representing indie labels when it comes to digital deals, and then you guys, A2IM, representing indie labels. So you can, can you kind of get into the differences between what you do, what Merlin does, and what your strength is? Sure. Well, we're the trade association for American independent labels. And... Uh, so we represent currently 427 uh, record labels, about 190 associate members. The associate members are effectively organizations that make their living from recorded music but don't own copyrights. So, you know, it could be Spotify, YouTube, the digital services, could be management companies, could be attorneys, that kind of thing. That's associate members. And the labels are independent labels that we define as being uh, entities that own 50% or more of their masters and have less than a 5% global market share. So there's only three entities that have more than a 5% global market share, and that's Universal, Warner, and, uh, and Sony. And um, the rest are independents. Um, so Merlin is a digital rights management organization, and they're different than uh, some other organizations and that they're not a distributor, they're not an aggregator, but they do negotiate digital rights. And they have an incredibly low admin fee of, uh, well, if you belong to A2IM, it's 2%. If you don't, it's 3.25%. Um, but they are, they've really changed the game for many independents 
uh, in, insofar as uh, you know, they, they, they're they're an independent distribution uh, organization that's uh, not owned by a, a multinational. Uh, Sound Exchange is also an amazing organization. Um, I think you know Sound Exchange has been collecting the statutory uh, royalties that are thrown up by uh, web radio and uh, satellite radio, Pandora. Uh, you know the, all the all the parallel broadcasting that iHeart and those stations do, um, the, the 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 statutory DMCA uh, compliant um, uh, stations that you know basically like a radio stream but on on the digital side, um, they pay a royalty and it goes through Sound Exchange and that money that goes through Sound Exchange, 50% of it goes directly to the artist. Well, actually, 45% goes to the artist, 2.5% goes to the AFM, and 2.5% goes to SAG-AFTRA, so for the musicians and the singers. Um, and that's been an amazing um, paradigm shift for uh, our industry as well. And uh, the other 50%, of course, goes to the label. So, um, and, and, and we have some labels that function entirely on sound exchange royalties. They, they, that's all they do is sound exchange. Mm-hmm. They collect sound exchange money, and they're able to survive on that. So I think this year they're approaching $900 million, so very getting close to a billion dollars of, uh, of revenue. And Merlin has been growing a pace as well, and I think you know they'll, they'll get to a billion sometime in the not-too-distant future. So that streaming, of course, is growing like crazy, and... Uh, uh, you know, we're at the very beginning, really, of streaming, even though it seems, for those of us in the business, it seems like we've been talking about it forever. Um, you know, we're at very early stages of what could be a massive boom in streaming. Definitely. So, so Richard, what exactly does A2, A2IM do for, as a trade organization, for these 420 or 70 companies you have, independent labels? Sure. Well, we, we have three legs, really advocacy, policy, and education. And this education in all its ramifications. So sometimes it can be somebody calling me up and trying to understand how the new Pandora um, structure is going to work, which happens to me a lot because it's it's a little bit confusing to people right now. And so it can be one-on-one education like that. It can be through Indie Week that we do in June, which runs from the 5th of June to the 8th of June, uh, where we have many panels and workshops, town halls, roundtables, and they're pretty high level. They're pitched at uh, people who already are functioning in the industry and really know the industry. Uh, Our our dues are quite high, and they're high for a reason, because we we need to, you know, we we want to focus on the labels uh, uh, that really are already functioning, and and, and not have them be distracted by too much consumer level stuff. So we're really a B2B organization. And then in terms of the advocacy, we are present on uh, Capitol Hill. We have uh, uh, attorneys down there and a lobbyist. And uh, just yesterday we signed on to the Section 512 comments that pretty much the whole industry signed on to, which is a concern about the uh, DMCA and the notice and takedown the whack-a-mole thing where, you know, stuff goes up on the Internet and you, you get it taken down and two seconds later it pops back up somewhere else. And it's kind of an untenable situation for not just the independents, actually the majors as well. So we're really combined on that. And then policy is where we're looking at, you know, sort of longer-term policies that will uh, benefit the entire music industry, recorded music industry, and, you know, obviously our focus is, is on the independent side. But... Part of my 
task and mission since I got there a year ago has been to really sort of stitch over any gaps between the various different entities as best as I can. And frankly, it's been pretty satisfying. I mean, the, the, the RAAA has made an effort and uh, you know, NMPA too. We've, we've, we've built good relationships together. And I think that uh, hopefully the recorded music industry will be working together a lot more to make things better for labels and artists and publishers and songwriters. It's interesting you mentioned the, the 512 issue. Uh, right before I came to class, uh, to class, to a radio <laughs> show tonight, um, I looked online. I was looking at uh, Billboard Biz, and I saw the video of T-Bone Burnett, uh, the video he sent on to Congress uh, right. on the issue. It was pretty interesting. It is interesting. I mean, it's, it's a difficult situation. You know, we've got a new technology, and, um, you know, the, when the DMCA was written, I was there when it was being written. It was completed in 98. You know, if you think about that environment, there was AOL and CompuServe, and, you know, that it was designed to, you know, prevent them from getting sued every time somebody put something up by accident or, you know, not intentionally. Uh, but, of course, now we live in a YouTube world where stuff's, you know, flying up millions of things, uh, literally millions of things are, are getting up online every day. And... Um, it, it's impossible for even the majors to keep up with and certainly impossible for a smaller independent to keep up with. And I know that, you know, on uh, some recent big hits that have been had in the independent sector, it costs hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars to keep those records off of the illegal uh, sites or illegal postings um, free a pre-release and even post-release, which obviously can cost you a hit if you get too many free instances of of a record uh, before it's really established itself. We have uh, some tweets for you from students as well. Okay. So some questions. Mm -hmm. uh, this one's from from uh, Hey, my name is Jay. He wants to know how does A two I M help other independent labels network, and do you help independent artists as well? Yeah, that's a great question. Thank you. I um, we, Last year we had 21 events. So we have Indie Week, which runs from the 5th of June to the 8th of June. On the 8th of June, we have the Libera Awards, which is the uh, independent sector's award show. And uh, we doubled the size last year. We're doubling the size again this year. We have several artists play, and we honor um, independent artists and independent labels and the people that work in the industry. Um, so, and that's a huge networking thing. In fact, this year we, we've extended the schmooze after the event for three hours and then we're having an after the after party party. <laughs> so, um, you know, because the schmooze is such an important, um, part of our, our industry and it's what everybody really, really likes aside from the award show and everything. So, uh, but then aside from that, we do these, we've done, two, like I said, last year we did 21 events around the country because we're not just in New York. We're in, we, we have chapters in LA, uh, Nashville, Chicago, and we, we sometimes just have parties where people get together and can network. And other times we do things like town halls. So just before the end of the year, we did two town halls in New York with Spotify, where they're explaining the whole playlist system, and um, we did two in LA with them. Uh, we 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 did a roundtable with uh, Pandora and so on and so forth. So we're always trying to sort of do practical things to educate people, but they're also kind of networking events as well. So they not only get to meet the digital services, 
Um, they get educated by the services as to how the systems work, and then they also get to meet other independent uh, label owners. As far as independent artists go, um, you know, we haven't delved too much into independent artists because that's the domain of our labels, but uh, at the same time, we wholly support uh, independent artists. And I do want to say this. One of the things I hear people talk about a lot is DIY, and I don't really believe in DIY, even though I did DIY back in the 70s, you know, when the punk thing happened back then in England. And that's my first label was kind of what was regarded as a DIY label. But frankly, the minute you put a record out, you are a label. And we would support anybody, you know, one person who just put a record out and, uh, you know, starting to get some traction. As far as we're concerned, you are a label. And, you know, if you want to become a member of A2IM, you can be. But but like you said, you really, it's interesting how you position yourselves. You to become a member, the the revenues, yeah. I'm sorry, the pricing to become a member is such that. Yeah, you're you're really making sure that these people are serious about it. We are, yeah. You know, so now we just started a new supporter program, which is a hundred dollars a year, and it's just a it's in the experimental stage right now. But we 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 began it with CD Baby, and we're expanding it out to the other. Um, uh, organizations like that. And um, the idea there is to sort of, you know, introduce people to what we do. And, and it has a, a, it's a more limited membership, but the objective being to sort of let people know we exist so that when, as they're starting to develop and as they start to run into some more thorny problems, as they get to a point where it would make sense to become full members, they know that we are there and, and we're there to help. Because I really want to build the independent sector up now one thing I, I was going to ask you is uh, one thing that the music biz association has done very well and we're going to talk about them in a second because i know you're going there in may as are we yeah but mm -hmm. um one thing that they've done very well is um i guess support uh the education of the music industry by working with universities and um, providing special rates for college students who are in, you know, yeah. trying to get into the industry uh, to go to their events and, and really support them. Is that something that would be on your mind to get into? For example, it, you have Indie Week in June, and that's traditionally yeah. when the New Music Seminar used to take place, and that's not happening anymore. And uh, you, could, right. you could almost think that your Indie Week um, could sort of take the place of that because I guess whatever the, the, the El Mondo world or whatever, um, I think is later on in the summer anyway. So it's kind of wide that's open for you guys to take that. Yeah, Mondo's in, I think, September. September. And, and they're, fr they're friends of ours. And Tom... Silverman, who ran New Music Seminar, he's on our board, mm -hmm. um, and we're working with some of the team that work with New Music Seminar. So what we're talking about um, for Indie Week this year for the first time is we're talking about adding an education track, and we're talking about a CLE track, Continuing Legal Education, uh, because lawyers also um, you know, need to refresh themselves on a regular basis. So we are talking about adding that. And I have to say, by the way, I've always been impressed by music biz, and even when it was known, you know, they had an education side of it. In fact, Rich Bengloff, who was the previous president of A2IM, used to teach at that. So I think music biz has done a phenomenal job, not least in the way it pivoted, you know, as physical retail um, collapsed, you know, in so many ways, and, and they've managed to pivot into the digital age. I think they've done a phenomenal, phenomenal job, and 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 yet they're still distinct from what we do. So I think, you know, we fit together very well. 
Agreed. Yes. And um, why don't we get in that? Because you are going to be at Music Biz. You're going to be giving a keynote speech on Thursday, May 18th. Uh, could you explain about or do you know do you know what you're going to speak about yet and um, why Music Biz? Well, I, you know, I, I really have a great deal of admiration for music business, and I've been going for, I can't remember, more than a decade, a very long time, and uh, for probably 15 years, something like that, but and before, you know, even before it was called music business. Um And uh, uh, Bruce from Hypebot's actually going to interview me, and I think we're going, we, what we're going to talk about is the career trajectory, much similar things to what we've talked about tonight, and, uh, you know, I think we'll just go wherever it goes. Music business, obviously is structured in a very different way. Originally, it was kind of a, a retail organization. It was National Association of Retail Merchandise, I think was what it stood for right now. And, um, and now, of course, you know, they've delved into the digital side, which is really critical. And one of the things I've talked about a lot in, um, you know, since I've taken this job is the ecosystem, which is, you know, not a particularly original uh, use of the term, but I do, the music industry clearly is an ecosystem, and just like any ecosystem, it's a delicate balance. And so I, I believe that we have to, you know, like I said before, the, the indies, the majors, and the, the publishers, we all need to get along. But beyond that, we need to get along with the tech companies as well. We need to find, uh, you know, that sweet spot where, you know, the tech companies can survive and make make money and build their business, but at the same time, the music industry can survive as well, the, the artists, the, the the labels, the publishers, and the songwriters. So, it, you know, I think that being in dialogue with all those entities is really important. I think Music Biz has a very different mix than we do, or, or at least it's structured in a different way than we than we are. And that um, they, they, they discuss some very important issues, like Bill Wilson's data initiative is really uh, critical, and he's been driving that forward for several years now. Great. Okay. Uh, another question for you comes from Taylor. She wants to know, how did your time at Smithsonian Folkways prepare you for your position at A2IM? I thought about that a lot, and um, I don't know that I would be able to do this job if I hadn't have done the time at Smithsonian Folkways, because maybe I was a little less disciplined before that. I'd always run my own businesses and I'd never really been accountable to anybody except me, which was good in the sense that I, it gave me a real entrepreneurial drive and, you know, the sense of, uh, you know, what they call profit and loss responsibility, right? If I, if I lost money, it was my money and I was in big trouble. So, you know, I had good grounding in that, but what I hadn't got a grounding in was how to function in a large bureaucracy. And Smithsonian really uh, schooled me in that. Uh, in almost a brutal way, I would say. You know, it's a very large bureaucracy, um, but it was a very valuable education. So to go back to my, you know, if my feet hit the ground in the morning and I can learn something that day, it's a good day. I think those were those were good days uh, in that regard. I really learned a lot while I was there. Uh, they put me through a senior leadership development program, which gave me, you know, professional coaching and those kinds of things. So I think it knocked some of the... Uh, rough edges off me if you like <laughs> interesting okay josh wants to know first he says hi richard then he wants to know uh, you used to work as a session musician do you yeah. still think that's a viable aim for an aspiring musician josh is a jazz guitar player by the way here 
there are still people making a living as studio musicians, and it's always important to remember that, that, you know, even when it's like vinyl, you know, I mean, there, I know vinyl is a big boom right now, but I mean, there are nowhere near as many vinyl plants as there used to be um, back in the 70s and early 80s. Uh, but at the same time, the people who are pressing vinyl today are, are doing very well because there's, there's, there's not enough of them to keep up with demand. And I think it's the same with studio musicians. I think if you're really good and you find a niche and you can, you can, you can uh, establish yourself in that niche, yeah, I think it's very viable. I, I, it, was, it was the only way to make a record back uh, in, in the 70s and early 80s. And so I, was, I really feel like I've been blessed in that regard. I, I had you know, sort of lived through several golden ages of the recording industry. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's very viable. I have friends who still make a living. In fact, friends from back then who are still making a living as studio musicians. I just kind of wanted to move on. I, I wouldn't say I got bored, but I just, uh, you know, there were more uh, exciting things ahead. I like challenges. Interesting. What was, because uh, I'm a drummer too, what was the most challenging thing for you being a session drummer? Uh, I, I don't know if it's challenging, but playing with a hundred piece orchestra is nerve wracking because mm-hmm. what'll happen is the strings will make will make a mistake and then the horns will make a mistake and you'll get to the third or fourth take and you've played the first two takes perfectly and it's like, oh God. <laughs> you know, if you screw up now you got ninety nine other musicians glaring down at you, you know. Because when the strings make a mistake you don't really know who screwed up. <laughs> when the drummer makes a mistake, it's pretty it's pretty obvious. But um, you know, and sometimes you walk in the studio and I'm a pretty good sight reader, or at least I was and um, and you look at the page and it looks like you know flies um, you know did their thing all over the page you know and you're like oh goodness you, you, you know it's, I, I know Berkeley always you say look through until you find the really black spots and then figure those out and you'll be fine but uh, your student musicians sight read oftentimes better than classical musicians because classical musicians are often playing. Um, playing repertoire, so they know the repertoire is large, and they have time to practice it. But studio work, you walk in and they put the charts up, and you got to play. Not all studio works off of charts, obviously, but uh, when it is, you really have to have to get it right first time. It's funny speaking of playing with the orchestra. We uh, there, back in the '80s, there was a single panel cartoon that would be in in the papers in the comic strips called The Far Side. And, I know, well, love and, it. And my favorite, Gary Larson was the guy, and my favorite one of that was there's this percussionist at a big symphony orchestra, and the, the yeah. caption below is, this time I won't screw up, this time I won't screw up, and in his right hand is a crash symbol, and his left hand is yeah. nothing. <laughs> so, yeah. I know, I know. I think about That's it funny. and I laugh, but yeah. Yeah. I I had that when I was at Guildhall. I, I, first time I ever played with an orchestra, they're playing Daphnis and Chloe, and um. And it was so beautiful. And I was playing snare drum, and and of course, like the part doesn't start until bar one hundred or whatever. And um, and uh, it was so beautiful. I completely lost count, you know. And of course, this we had an Israeli conductor, and he stopped the orchestra and he screamed at me. And so, <laughs> you learn not to stop counting after a while. That, that used to be for me the hardest thing. If I I would have to be telling myself, focus, focus, focus on these totally. long sixty bar breaks yep. between doing something because if you in around 46 47 if you uh skip it and you didn't have any cues written into your music then you're yeah you're winging it's it. not too bad that's one thing with studio work usually you can follow the part but when you're playing classical music it's very difficult if you don't know the piece back to front you can really get lost you know if you're one bar out it's pretty disastrous 
You have the crash symbol yeah. right when the, everything goes, uh, you know, Quiet. triple P. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, and here's a question from Anthony Miller that, that actually leads into a, a better question than his, but he, he kind of segues. He wants to know what you think about Tim McGraw and Faith Hill leaving their indie label to sign with Sony. And that basically they left, they left Big Machine, which is Taylor Swift's yeah. label, uh, and they signed with Sony. And I think the, the better question is, why is Big Machine – and you kind of touched upon this a while back, but why is Big Machine considered an indie? Because they are distributed by the Universal Music Group. So it's not like they're um, – Aaron and I just start a label tomorrow and we put out a record by you. I mean, they are still a pretty major indie label. So how do you uh, categorize them? Well, they're, they're categorized as an indie. I mean, they definitely are. You know, they may be distributed by Universal, but they're indie. I mean, Andrew Couch from Big Machines on our on our board, and um, you know, Scott Borchetta is you know a hugely impressive individual. Mm -hmm. Obviously, it's incredible what they've done. Um, you know, I, I tell you, I don't, I don't get too knotted up about uh, people moving from indies to majors. Adele's just moving from beggars to uh, Sony, and you know, they're not worried about it. And I think. It, it's an inevitability. You look at you look at Warner Brothers today. Warner's today. What are they? They're a pile of indies. You know, it's Electra, Atlantic. Uh, you look at Universal. Same thing. And um, and same thing with Sony. It's a pile pile of uh, independent labels over the years. You think about say Universal. You got Capital. You got Blue Note. Um, you know, I don't even know where Impulse and Vanguard and Oh Island at Universal, uh, Chrysalis, I guess at Universal. Now they've actually that's gone indie again, you know. So, you know, indie labels get gobbled up by major labels, um, you know, at certain points in their life cycle. And same thing with independent artists as well. So, um, you know, it's it's just one of those uh, one of those inevitable inevitable things that happens. And I think that uh, you know we just have to learn to, uh, you know, it, it is what it is. Sometimes a huge amount of money is dangled in front of an artist's face, and they might be at a point in their career where it's extremely difficult for them to turn that down. You know, if they've just come off a big hit and, and, and a major offers them, you know, tens of millions or hundreds of millions of dollars, it's easy to understand why they're tempted by that. Is there, because cause Aaron uh, Van Dyne here, uh, you're the business manager for Dave Matthews, and Dave has had his own label. But yeah, yeah, so he's not on it. But. Yeah, okay, but what's, yeah, what's the yeah, label? Yeah, yeah, no. uh, According to ATO Pictures, A ATO Records, ATO Records. ATO now, is that is that owned by Dave what? What is Dave signed to? RCA? Is that what? Yeah, he's with, yeah. with RCA. So, but does, so does yeah. Dave technically own that label, or does RCA own it? It's kind of like no, an imprint. The label's owned by Dave and his manager, Corin Capshaw, and a few other people. Okay, and are they yeah. part of A Two I M? They are. In fact, okay. uh, yeah, they're on our board also. So it's definitely Alexa from ATO is on our board. And um, she's amazing, and uh, as is Andrew from Big Machine. So, um, you know, an ATO has huge acts as well. I have Alabama Shakes, for example. So, you know, we're, uh, I mean, we love having these labels. But I mean, th that's not uncommon. I mean, Third Man's another label that's uh, mm -hmm. um, part of our, part of A2IM, and I think uh, I, I think Jack White signed to a major as well. Um, you know, so that's not uncommon. You know, you build a career through the majors and you have some money and you want to start an independent label, but you, you know, you stay on the major cause you're signed to a, you know, a multiple album deal. And maybe you like being on that major. So, uh, you know, I think, um, there's nothing fundamentally wrong with the majors. They do have a different way of approaching, uh, the business than we do. And there's certain things work better for them than, 
than for the Indies. And we're, we're our big struggle is to keep the playing field as level as possible because we can't really. Most Indies cannot compete, um, you know, dollar for dollar um, in, in the really high dollar, high stake, uh, high stake games. But um, you know. That's, I think, one of the reasons why indies are over-indexing so much at uh, stream at uh, you know, on streaming uh, uh, on streaming services because uh, you know it doesn't it isn't about throwing money at it because they're, they're very much about uh, how the individual consumer responds to a record, which I love. So you look at something like Spotify, for example, they know exactly how every single consumer that's listening to their service is reacting to every single record and they're they're gathering all that information and that's what determines what rises up through their system great okay well we have to uh we got you out of our system which was great so it was great having you <laughs> we are actually out of time so we need to thank you for being on yeah, the show great. very yeah. great so uh, yeah. we've had I, uh... yes I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. So, Thanks for having me. Dr. Richard Burgess has been on with Music Biz 101 and more. It's been great. Thank you, Richard, very much. We'll see you out in Nashville in May. We will find you. I look forward to it, Dave. Okay. Thank you very much again. Yeah. Thanks, Richard. Nice to meet you, Aaron. Bye-bye. 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 So, uh, Aaron, that was a great show that we that had. Was very good. Thank you very much for being here. Are you going to be here next week? Uh, I think I am. We ha- You have to be oh, next I'm week. I'm going to be here with the, the great Del Ferrano next yes, week. Yes, our guest next week is Del Ferrano who is the CEO and founder of Epic Rights, which is a huge merch company. And he's just going into a Hall of Fame, I saw, for mm-hmm. which is in the merch world, which is very good. Does it, does it for Kiss, does it for, I think, ACDC and lots of other bands. Of yeah, been around. But he's been in the merch world since, uh, well, he'll tell you, but I think things since the 70s. That's great. So uh, so that's next week. And then after that, uh, DMC Daryl McDaniel is going to be interviewed by our own friend Rob Fusari. Cue the music. And then uh, after that, Mark Goodman of MTV. Then we have a lot of other people, people from Sony, from Music Biz, from uh, ADA, Cobalt. It's going to be great. So uh, thank you so much, everybody, for listening to Music Biz 101 and more. Thank you, Ashley Weltner, for being our producer and engineer and doing so well at it. Thank you. Thank you for staying awake the entire time. It was a good job, Ashley. Thank you, Aaron Van Dyne, Professor Aaron Van Dyne, making it happen today. I am your professor, David Kirkfield, but at the end of every show, we do not say hello. That would be silly. At the end of every show, instead, we say adios.